we continue this morning, congregation, in our Heroes of the Faith series. And we've seen some pretty incredible people of faith, giants of the faith, Moses, Abraham, Noah, Ruth. Who would you put at, at the top of the list in terms of their faith? That's a really, that's a really hard question. But our guy today has got to be up there pretty high, David. David was the second king of Israel. You know he wrote a lot of the Psalms, right? Do you have any idea how many? I didn't know till this past week. 74. So almost half of the 150 Psalms, including really well-known Psalms like Psalm 19, 103. We read from Psalm 103 in the Assurance of Pardon this morning. Psalm 139, Psalm 51, we sang that psalm today, Song of Confession. And this is the guy whose name is used in one of Jesus' most prominent titles. Jesus is called Son of David. David was a king, he was a poet, a musician, a military leader, he was an ancestor of Jesus, but what we read in one little verse in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and then again in Acts 13, 22 is what's most important. There, David is called a man after God's own heart. No one else is called that in all Scripture. Just think about that this morning. To be a man or a woman after God's own heart. What a goal to strive for as we seek to please our God. We've come to Him this morning in our need. Sinners, not worthy. He comes to us and Jesus cleanses us with His blood. And we can worship this holy and awesome and sovereign God. What a goal that that we would seek to please Him our holy God. In the season of thanksgiving, what better way to thank him with our lives for all he's done? What does it take to be a man or a woman after God's heart? And the Lord invites us to consider that this morning. We're going to look at the sweep of David's life, and we're going to find three characteristics that made him a person after God's own heart. What does a person after God's heart look like? First of all, he displays a courageous faith. He displays courageous faith. We see this when David is an adult and is king and leads the people to fight battle after battle against God's people. But we see it most clearly early on in his life when he meets Goliath. This was a time when Israel's main enemy was this group of people called the Philistines. Once, the Israelite army and the Philistine army were camped on the slopes of two opposite mountains with a valley between them. 1 Samuel 17 tells us about this. Uh, and and the, the Bible story summarizes it. A champion came forward from the Philistine camp, a giant, we read, Why did they do it this way? Well, dueling, a duel, that was a really popular way among the Philistines to figure out disputes. 
kind of barbaric and brutal, but dueling was really popular. And this guy, Goliath, towered over everybody else. He won all his duels. Some translations of the Bible say he was 6.5 cubits. Some translations say 4.5 cubits. 6.5 cubits is a little bit over 9 feet tall. 4.5 cubits is about 6 foot 8 inches. Now the average height we know from that time, it's estimated, was a little over 5 feet. So 6 foot 8 inches, and I think we got a couple people in our church who are about that height. 6 foot 8, for everybody else being 5 foot, That would have been giant-sized for sure, but he may very well have been up to nine feet tall. Goliath taunted Israel's army, and worse than that, he taunted the God of Israel. But nobody dared take this guy on. This went on for days. He stepped forward, ready to duel, taunting them. Israel's king at the time Saul, he promised that the man who killed this giant would become his very own son-in-law. He'd become royalty, and his whole family would forever be exempt from all future military service, riches, power, no military service, but even that didn't help anybody step forward. And you wonder, how in the world could this be? The Israelites were the people of God. God was with them. He made that so clear. They had the history of God taking them out of Egypt. They had the history of God taking them into the land they were in under Joshua, defeating the enemies. So was there no faith left in Israel to take on a guy mocking the Lord? The reality is, There was very little faith in those days. And a big part of the reason was a lack of faith-filled leadership. King Saul was not the king he should be. He started out well, but as time went on, he started resisting the Lord and His work in his heart, and that made room for an evil spirit that would come in and torment him. Saul was not the godly leader he should have been. And and you know, think about that. When a leader doesn't walk with the Lord, that will impact the people. For those who lead, and many of us do in various capacities, whether you're a parent in the home, a leader in the church or in your work, a leader in our nation, A leader's walk with God, or a lack of it, it will affect the nation, the home, the church, the people. And so in those days, it seems very clear, Scripture is telling us that faith was stifled in the land because of Saul's disobedience. But not in David. David, he was probably like a tween. What's tween? Like, 9, 10, 11, 12, or young teenager, pretty young. He came to visit the army one day in the course of this. His three brothers, we read, um, were serving in the army. David was sent by his father, Jesse, uh, to check on how they were doing. Well, young David saw the taunting of Goliath, and it struck 
this young man to the core to hear the name of his God being scorned. And if Goliath's scorning and taunting was making everybody else in Israel feel afraid, David felt something different. David felt not fear. David felt anger. And it was a righteous anger. How could everyone be letting this go on day after day, blaspheming God's name, cutting down his people? He couldn't believe it. This was not right. So David starts speaking up, asking questions, expressing faith that he thought this guy in the Philistines could be defeated. His older brother told him to knock it off, go back home and watch the sheep, David, but even that didn't stop him. Word reached the king. Saul sent for David, and David volunteered on the spot. Saul pointed out that he was really inexperienced, but then David testified about his faith, how he, he fought off this lion and this bear and how God had always helped him and he believed God would help him here too. We read that Goliath sneered when he saw young David with just this shepherd's staff, a sling, five smooth stones in his bag. He cursed David. David's powerful response of faith was this, you have come against me with sword and spear, but I have come in the name of the Lord whom you have defied. A few years later, as a military leader, David would train soldiers and he would provide them with swords and spears and armor for battle, of course. But David knew all along that even if that stuff wasn't available, a sling and a stone would do just as well if you had the Lord. In our lives too, no matter how meager our resources might be, we can be assured that as long as the Lord is with us, we will have success. In the end, He is all we need. So with those meager resources, David slung a stone. It hit Goliath in the temple. He fell. Using the giant's own sword, David cut off his head. That little song that we sang, uh, one of our, our nephews, Caleb Ruder, he, he always used to end that song um, it, and the giant came tumbling down, and then he goes, and he cut off his head with his own sword. It's a little grim, but for a boy, and it's true. The Philistines fled in panic because they had seen a power that they could not match. And that power, it was the Spirit of the Lord at work in David. Jesus hadn't come to earth yet, but what was on display let there be no doubt about it. it, was the spirit and the power of Jesus. And he brought the victory. And, and I'm here to tell you this morning that his power is alive and at work today too so that we can stand up and have courageous faith. Do we demonstrate courageous faith today? I think that's something this passage invites us to think about, to pray about, maybe to talk about with other believers, to discuss in your small group. Do we have courageous faith? Or are we more like the rest of that army that didn't do anything, that was paralyzed with fear? And that's 
it's tough. It's a tough question because, boy, we do not always feel full of faith and raring to go. Sometimes we feel like we have very small faith. But then we've got to remember it's not about us. David did not come with any confidence in himself at Goliath. This was not about mustering up his strength and and I'm so smart I can trick him or I'm so wily. What did he say? He said, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. So courageous faith, and this is a great comfort to me, and I hope it is to you, it's knowing that you are not, you're not a giant killer, but God is. It's knowing that even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, as Jesus says in the New Testament, a mountain can be moved with it because it's not about the size of our faith. It's not about how much of it, though we pray to have as much as possible. But what it's about, whatever we've got, it's about where you direct it. It's about putting your trust in the name of the Lord. It's his spirit at work. It's not about us. And so if there's a giant in our lives, whether it be financial fear, and boy, that can be a giant. Whether it's cancer, boy, That can be a giant. Whether it's a person giving you trouble, the solution is to look to our God. Got to get our eyes off of ourselves because when we look there, we'll see the reality. Weakness and smallness and frailty. But we have a mighty God and it's in Him that we put our trust. David got that. And we can get that too. We really can. There's a second characteristic in David's life of a person after God's own heart, and it's this. He respects God's order. And for this, we move ahead to David's life. Uh, 1 Samuel 24, 1-7, we're going to read it in a minute. I had mentioned that King Saul had started to turn away from the Lord. This evil spirit took a hold of his life. After David defeated Goliath, he became a national hero And he also was in line to be the next king because the prophet Samuel anointed him and everyone knew it. Well, this started making Saul feel very, very jealous. And the result was a terrible stretch in David's life where he was being persecuted by Saul. He was on the run constantly, living in caves alone. A number of those psalms that you read, the ones maybe we don't always go to, where the psalmist is crying out, Lord, help me, those are about those terrible times. And believers today, if you're going through hard times, if you're being persecuted, if you're being hurt by evil men, you've found great comfort in those words of David. Psalm 57 is a great example of one of those, uh, if you want to read it later. So listen to this episode that shows this characteristic. 1 Samuel 24, 1-7, the words will be up here too. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel, set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, 
This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And so Saul left the cave and went his way. So this is pretty amazing. Do you see what happened here? David had a chance to kill Saul, who was trying to kill him, but he didn't. If he had, he would have become king right on the spot because he was anointed to be king. No one would have blamed David for doing this. He would have been, had every right to do this. Everyone would have considered it self-defense. Saul was after him. What's going on here? I believe this is another reason David is a man after God's own heart. David called Saul the Lord's anointed, and that's the key. He had a respect yet for the Lord's anointed. And, and today we call this a, a, a sense and a respect and an honor for office. And our catechism in, in its explanation of the fifth commandment explains it this way. Honor your father and your mother is the command. But if you look at all of Scripture, it means I am to honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. We're called to obey them. We're called to be patient with their failings. For through them, says the catechism, summarizing the Bible, through them, those in authority, God chooses to rule us. So someone living after God's heart understands that God chooses to rule us through leaders in different areas of life. In our home, it's our parents, obviously. At school, it's our teachers. In the church, it's our pastors and elders. In the government, too, we have leaders. This is such an important principle for godly living that I really fear we've been letting go today. How do we talk about our teachers, our pastors, our boss? We're called to honor our leaders because God has chosen to rule us through them. People are imperfect, oh yeah, definitely, but we respect them for the sake of their office. And if there's disagreement, whether it be with your teacher, your elder, your parents, your elected officials. There are proper avenues to express that with honor, with respect. I heard a talk by a pastor two weeks ago. It was actually the, uh, the current president of Calvin Seminary, Reverend Jewel Maidenblick. It was a, a gathering of people who support the seminary. And he shared about his calling to the ministry. And he said one reason he really hesitated to become a pastor was because he grew up, sadly, he said, in a family that had roast pastor for Sunday dinner. That's how he put it. I don't know if you ever heard of having roast pastor for Sunday dinner, but I think you understand the picture there. And let's be honest that this can happen. Roast teacher, roast boss, roast president. People after God's own heart don't want to do that. We don't have to agree with everything. Of course not. 
But there's an honor and a respect that God calls us to. Saul was a terrible king. He was trying to kill David, and yet, even then, David didn't touch him, and he respected him. And it's not because Saul was so great, obviously, but for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of his office, and God calls his people to do that. People after God's own heart do the same today. We have to not get sucked into that negativity toward authority these days. And it's increased in our nation in the last decades, this strong movement of being anti-authority, disrespecting it, that tendency to be so quickly critical of our president, our teachers, that attitude, it's tearing apart the fabric of how our society is supposed to function. It's tearing apart how God made things to run. We've got to resist it as God's children. doesn't mean we stand for wrong, but there are right and honoring ways to express the right. It's not by tearing down all those in authority. That will tear down our hearts and our nation to the core. So remember David next time you go there at the dinner table or in a conversation or on Facebook. A person after God's own heart respects God's order and understands the idea of office because God himself has chosen to rule us through people he placed in authority in our lives. And if, if, Saul, if David could have, David didn't agree with what Saul was doing. Saul was wicked. And sometimes there are wicked people in authority over us. But he didn't touch him. And, and somehow there's a balance there between not agreeing with, even when someone's wrong, but yet, yet an honor, not for the sake of the person, but for the office. Third, finally, a man after God's own heart is a repentant sinner. Later on in David's life, when he was king and had achieved much and done much good for the Lord, he did something terrible. And in this tragic episode in his life, we see so clear that heroes of the faith are not always heroic. And heroes of the faith can fall into sin, sometimes big time. David had conquered Goliath. He maintained his integrity by not putting a hand on the Lord's anointed. He went on to defeat Israel's enemies left and right. And as king expanded the borders of the nation like never before. And we don't know if, if like pride set in or just complacency or what, but he let his guard down. He slipped. Second Samuel 11, 1 through 5. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She she had purified herself from her uncleanness, and then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. 
passage goes on, we learn he not only does that, he, he sends the husband to the front lines of battle, so he gets knocked off uh, because she's pregnant. Mur- it's murder. This is a low point. The king's got time on his hand. He's bored because he's not where he's supposed to be. When kings are supposed to, this is the time when kings are supposed to be in the battlefield and, and David was at home. He notices this woman. That in itself isn't bad, right? To look up and you happen to see someone you find attractive, but then that should have been it. It was okay to think, wow, she's pretty. But then he should have hightailed it off that roof, gone back inside, maybe done some praying, maybe write a new psalm or something. Instead of that, he got a real good long look. He continued to think about her. And it led to him using his power as king to sleep with another man's wife. Person after God's own heart. You know, in the New Testament, it still says that well after this event. They would have known about that. Did, how, how, how could that be? Wouldn't you think God would reject him, let him go? after such wickedness. But God did not let him go. He still stands in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. How could that be? Why? It's because he repented. He was deeply sorry. The Lord sent the prophet Nathan to confront David with his sin. David's heart was open to the rebuke and correction. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And we read the next sentence in Scripture is, the Lord took away his sin. You know, people living after God's own heart are not perfect. A hero of faith, someone after God's own heart, knows that he or she is a sinner and needs God's grace so much, as much if not more than anybody else. And if you this morning are beating yourself up because of a sin or a failure in your life or thinking about David in these first two episodes in his life and how he was so courageous, he was so strong, thinking about these other heroes of the faith, And you look at yourself and you're like, man, you've got to know you can still be a person after God's own heart if you repent of your sins. We are where we need to be when we realize that we desperately need the person the Bible calls the son of David. When we realize that we need that great descendant of David, Jesus Christ, who would come to earth and live with such faith that he would never, ever waver or fail. He went all the way to the cross and paid the price there for our failings with his own life. He rose again from the dead three days later in victory to win for us the victory over sin and death and hell. Because of Christ, we Even me 
even you, if you could believe it, with all our weaknesses, all our frailty, all our failures, even, even we can be people after God's own heart. In the power of His Spirit in our lives, we can take steps of courageous faith. We can live and respect His ordering of our lives. And when we blow it, when we sin, we can have the humility to go to Him. And He will be gracious to forgive us our sins. David's heart can be our heart through the Son of David who gives new hearts to all who turn to him in faith. He doesn't refuse anyone who comes to him in faith with repentance.